All right. Well, thank you for the amazing worship this morning. That was uh, really a blessing, Derek and team. Uh, we're so blessed to have you with us. Um, just to follow up that video a little bit, and I'll go ahead and dismiss the children now. If you've been uh, been in with us for worship, we'll let you head back to these two doors here, and uh, there are some wonderful people who will meet you there and uh, and be with you through the end of service. So. Thank you for that. Um, this five and two challenge is something that we started with our VBS, and uh, Amanda shared a little bit last week about how many meals were were funded through just Vacation Bible School. How many was it? it was over sixteen hundred? Over twenty six hundred. Wow, pastors never underestimate. We always overestimate, right? So over twenty six hundred meals. Uh, this five and two challenge talks about the five loaves and the two fish. And uh, the multiplication that takes place when everybody allows their small change to make a big difference. And uh, we'll be doing this through the summer. Our kids have some really cool goals that might involve me getting a pie in the face or find myself in a dunk tank if we can hit certain thresholds. So we'll have some fun with that as well. And uh, there are little banks that you can pick up, little coin banks, uh, to collect your spare change. You can also write checks and put 5 and 2 challenge on a check. There's a table out there that will track our progress along the way. You can also pick up one of the piggy banks if you want to do that for the kids to keep them interested and engaged. And there's even a little activity table. I think it's geared towards children, but the adults can color a fish or a loaf of bread as well. Put that on the wall, and uh, that'll be a way for you to connect as well. So uh, don't miss that. It's a great opportunity through the summer to, uh, to be engaged with what our, our children's ministry, our Kids Way ministry, is doing. Well, as we kind of transition into the message... I want to share a story because I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking about the first time in my life when I really got the idea that I might have a personal ministry or a personal mission field. And it happened back around 2005, and I met a, a man named Ashley Bright in a men's uh, Bible study. It was kind of a marketplace ministry. I was selling insurance at the time, so I thought that was a good fit. I was growing really rapidly in my relationship with Christ, and I'm sure there was just at least a little bit of me that thought, well, I might make a few connections in this marketplace ministry Bible study that would lead to some sales as well. So I jumped into this and uh, met Ashley. He's the guy in the back in the black shirt. This is him and his family. And uh, Ashley has emerged as one of my real-life heroes, people that I just admire everything about this person and about his family. And uh, when we got to the time one of those early meetings where we were sharing prayer requests at the end, the group was still new enough that most men's ministry exists at the level of news, weather, and sports for a few months at least until somebody breaks the ice and really gets vulnerable and really gets real. And I remember as we went around, people were saying, well, pray for this person who's sick or that person who's going through a hard time. And, and when I got to Ashley, he said, I want you guys to pray with me. And if, even if you would, you know, really focus prayer for me, because I, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm about the age Jesus when, was when he, when he died. I've bounced around a little bit, but I really feel like God might be leading me to a, a sustained ministry and a, and a mission here in Casper, and I don't want to miss it, and I don't want to mess it up. Would you pray that God's purpose for my life would come to pass? And that was about 12, 13 years ago. He had been uh, the executive director of the Boys and Girls Club in Casper, uh, for about five or six years at that point. And it's amazing to think about what happened. This, this little boy who was raised in a Jewish home, but not a really practicing Jewish home, spent some time uh, in his later teen years and early, um, early adulthood in the Catholic Church. But he could point to a day uh, in 1990, when he was 22 years old, that Jesus got a hold of his heart and that Jesus became real to him. And he felt like 
that was a turning point in his life. And here, when I met him about 15 years uh, later, uh, he was living his life for Jesus. He was living his life with a vision and a sense of purpose. And it's amazing to think what God has done through this person. Because I had always thought that only pastors and missionaries were people that God had you know, a personal mission for. And that everybody else was just supposed to help the pastors and missionaries accomplish their ministry. He turned this on his head. For me, and uh, this is uh, the Central Wyoming Rescue Mission, or I'm sorry, the Central Wyoming Boys and Girls Club. When he got there, it was a small building, about 9,000 square feet. He said at the time that he got there, they were serving 498 uh, young people through this building. They had about $330,000 in assets and about nine employees, but only three of them were full time. Fast forward to today, and as he has surrendered his life to Jesus and surrendered his will and his personal mission. And brought that in line with God. He's still the executive director of the Central Wyoming Boys and Girls Club. But in that time, in the last 19 years that he's been there, it now has over $11 million in assets. They reach 3,400 students a week through this new facility that they raised the funds for and constructed. Uh, They've developed a financial literacy center that teaches adults and high school students about checking accounts and how to manage um, their finances and how to get a mortgage and all of these types of things. They pioneered a cowboy ethics program in Wyoming, everything's cowboys because we have one university and the mascot is the cowboys. So cowboy ethics is in schools throughout the state that was developed here and is teaching ethics to students um, through there. They've gotten national recognition a number of different times. They pioneered a USDA certified snack and free meal program through the through this after-school programs so that kids that maybe are at risk for, for hunger and those types of things can get healthy snacks and, and healthy meals as a part of, of going to the Boys and Girls Club. They now have 70 employees. Many of them are full-time. They've been, their region um, uh, has recognized them as, as the club of the year a number of different times. There are 10 sites now, and, uh, and they've got a partnership with the University of Wyoming that, that provides over $125,000 a year of scholarships to students that come up through the Central Wyoming uh, Boys and Girls Club clubs. And he's still... Not a pastor, not a missionary, but he's lived his life on mission for Jesus right where he is. And uh, he, he happens to be an elder in his church, and uh, they, the picture that I showed of him, there's a little, little kid that they had adopted from China in there as well. They adopted him a couple years ago. And so it's just it's, it's so amazing to me to see an example of somebody who decided they didn't have to leave and go to seminary and become a full-time pastor in order to live on mission or sense of purpose. And I look out over this room and I see many other examples of that. But I just love that story and I love the way that God has worked in his life. And so today, as we continue our series, A Family of Families, and what type of family we believe God wants Linwood Church to be, we're going to talk about being a missional family of missional families, a missional family of missional families. Now raise your hand if you've used the word missional in the last seven days. Amanda did. That's awesome. We've been talking about it. Zach did not. Zach, not so much, but Amanda did. No. Um, This is kind of a church buzzword in the last 10 years or so, um, but it's rooted in a really important concept. And the idea of a missional church, the best definition that I could find is from Alan Hirsch, who's what we call a missiologist, somebody who, who has studied mission and has studied God's mission in this world and how we as the church, as his body, 
can participate in his mission. And here's how he defines a missional church. He says, a missional church is a community of God's people that defines itself and organizes its life around its real purpose of being an agent of God's mission in the world. That's a missional church. It's a church that defines itself and organizes its life around its real purpose of being an agent of God's mission in the world. So that begs the question, I'm sure you're wondering, well, what's God's mission in the world? What, what, is, what is maybe the biblical definition of God's mission in the world? And perhaps the best place to find this is a New Testament passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, I know I've referenced this. It kind of came at the end of one of the messages in the um, Journey to the Cross series. But uh, we, we, we need to dig deeply into this and see how this passage of scripture applies to our lives in our individual families, our immediate families, in our individual lives, but also in our life together as a family. A family. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to you. We're going to look at verses 14 through 21. If you've got one of the pew Bibles that are in the seats, um, you can turn quickly to page 1799 and find it there. Or if you're on a digital device, go ahead and, and pull this up. We're not going to have it on the screen. I think it's important that you interact with scripture in your hand. And I want to build that habit because I, I truly hope that every single one of you is reading your Bible throughout the week, not just on Sunday morning, and uh, getting familiar with God's Word and spending time in God's Word every single day. So here's what Paul says as he's writing this letter to the church that he had planted in Corinth, the second letter that he's written. He says this, he says, For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what is the mission of God? What is the ministry of God? What is the purpose of God in this world? It is the ministry of reconciliation. It is reconciling this lost and broken and fallen world and fallen humanity to himself through Christ Jesus. It's very, very clear in the text. And when we talk about reconciliation, conciliatory or to concile something is to make peace. So reconciliation is the restoration of the peace that was in the garden before the fall. It's the return to that peaceful relationship. Rather than being at enmity with God and with each other, we step into peace with God, into unity and oneness with God, like we talked about last week, and into unity and oneness with each other. That is the ministry of reconciliation. That is God's mission in this world, and that is really what he's about. And he invites us, when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we accept the grace and forgiveness that's available to us through him, he invites us to join him in that ministry of reconciliation. So I want to walk back through this passage and just 
make sure we caught a few key points from this. First, in verse 14, I love this phrase, we, Christ's love compels us. In the New Living Translation, it says Christ's love controls us. That we are, so, we are so mesmerized by Christ's love and so in awe of Christ's love that it compels us to action. It controls us, controls our thoughts, controls our actions, moves us in the same direction with him. His love controls us. And if we're on mission, if we're on mission for him, then we're on the same mission with him. We can't, we can't be on mission for Christ and do, be doing something that's apart from his desire. And his desire has been made very clear here. So we better be about reconciliation. For a long time in the 80s and 90s, this idea of an attractional church gained a lot of, of, of ground and a lot of traction. And this idea that if you had really good programs and really good worship and really good this and really good that and really good facilities, it would attract a lot of people to come to the church. And there's nothing really wrong with the attractional church model as long as it grows people up and then releases them on mission. And so then there was sort of a backlash, and and it was almost like people made it as bad as they possibly could. So the worship was terrible, the facility was terrible, the programs were terrible, because we're just missional. We're not focused on any of this attractional stuff. Attractional is bad. And I I don't think it's either or. I think it's both and. I think that God's original vision for the people of Israel was that their worship would draw people in as they were going out and bringing the good news to people. And we see this in the New Testament. We see this in the bodies that Christ plants through Paul and through his ministry and through the other apostles as they went around. That was this outpost for Christianity that was supposed to draw people in as we send out and draw in and send out. It's not either or. Attractional draws people in, but missional goes out and finds the people who aren't attracted yet. And so we need both, and we need to have a sense of mission behind what we do. So it's not either or, it's both and. It's both attractional and missional. That we're not content just to say, well, come and see, come and see. We've got to go and be. We can't just say, come and see Jesus. We've got to go and be Jesus to the people. That's the attractional and the missional. And then in verse 15, he he makes this even clearer. He says, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for our preferences. We die to ourselves. As Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a death to self so that we can live. There's the song said, we lay ourselves down. I lay me down so that Jesus can, can move in me, move through me, can accomplish his purposes in my life. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for Christ. We're no longer here to consume and to see and to, to say, you know, impress me. We're no longer here to critique what happens on a Sunday morning. We're here to contribute. We're here to touch somebody's life. We're here to live our lives on mission for God. We're here to bring somebody with us. We're here to go out and find somebody that needs to hear the good news that there is a God who's crazy about them and who will stop at literally nothing to draw them into relationship with himself. I loved what uh, Troy, yes, last week when he was leading worship, did you catch what he said uh, in between maybe the first two songs? He said there's something really interesting about worship, that when we come here to get filled up and we come here as consumers, we leave empty. But if we come here to pour ourselves out to God in worship, we'll leave full. It doesn't make sense. It's kingdom economics. It's this idea when we come in with our hands open, we say, God, take what you need to take. Give what you want me to have. I'm not here to get. I'm here to give. 
that we leave full in those cases. And so we no longer live our lives for ourselves. We live for him who died. Who died not just for us, but who died for them. Who died for those who are not yet here. Then in verse 16 and 17, we get this idea that you are a new creation. So we don't, we don't regard anybody by a worldly point of view anymore. Is how he starts in verse 16. And then verse 17, that phrase that we've heard so many times. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are a new creation if you're in Christ. And not just that, but everyone you look in the eyes of is either a new creation in Christ or has the potential to be a new creation in Christ. So you're a new creation, and everyone you encounter could be a new creation. One of my favorite pastors has said, you will never look into the eyes of somebody that God does not love. You will never look into the eyes of somebody that Jesus did not die for. And that's why the ministry of reconciliation is so important because there's a whole lost world out there that has no idea that the God of the universe is crazy about them. And we're plan A. There is no plan B. It's the church. It's in our hands. And we're the ones that are either going to tell people or we're going to walk on by. And so we have an opportunity to say to God, help me to see as you see. Help me to see with your eyes. Because when we see as God sees, we'll do as he says. Disobedience is only a lack of understanding. It's only a lack of revelation. It's only a lack of not seeing things as God sees. Because if we see them as God sees him, if we see those individuals that we encounter, even the ones that drive us crazy sometimes, if we could see them through God's eyes, we would do as God says. I have no doubt about it. When we see as God sees, we'll do as he says. In verse 18 and 20, make it very clear that we have been reconciled so that we will reconcile others. We've been reconciled to reconcile. We've been reconciled and our mission is to reconcile the world to God. To be agents, ambassadors of Christ in this world. And so our bottom line today, our bottom line is that this world is not our home. It's our mission field. This world is not our home. Our home is in heaven. Our home is in eternity with God in heaven. And right now, we're on the mission field. Right now, we're on mission with God, with Christ, to reconcile the world to him. This world is not our home. It's our mission field. And the reason that any of this is possible, the reason that all of this is true, is verse 21. That God made him who had no sin, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become the, fam- the righteousness of God. That your family, that our family might become the righteousness of God. Now how many ladies like to get a good deal when you go shopping? I love a good deal. I hate paying full price for anything. I can't believe. You guys all just go pay full price for stuff? Or do you like to get a good deal? You don't have to click coupons, but when it says 50% off, are you happier or sadder? We like good deals, don't we? I see a few people nodding. I love a good deal. I love knowing that these pants were $55 at Kohl's, and I got them for 10 Now, I would say I saved $45, but the $45 never made it into the savings account, right? <laughs> we save a lot of money without saving any money, don't we? No, I spent 10 but I spent 10 on something that somebody said was worth 55 I love a good deal. Let me tell you, verse 21 is the best deal ever. It says that God made him who had no sin... To be sin for us. God exchanged my sinful nature for Christ's righteousness. God said, from now on, because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, from now on, when I look at you, Mark, I don't see your sin. I don't see your past. I don't see your history. I see Jesus. I see his righteousness. 
That is good news. And there are a lot of people that are carrying around a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and a lot of condemnation that there's no reason for them to have. They can exchange their sin for Christ's righteousness. But they've got to hear about it. And they're going to hear about it from people like us, people like you. And I love how this passage concludes. It actually concludes in the first few verses of chapter 6. He says, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Don't receive it in vain. Don't let the ministry of reconciliation come to you and you do nothing with it. That's what it would mean to receive God's favor in vain. And so we're going to spend the rest of the time that we have talking about your mission field and our mission field. Because this world is not our home, it's our mission field. So what does your mission field look like and what does our mission field look like? The first thing you have to do to understand this is you have to embrace the fact that you are a missionary, that you have a mission, that you are a co-laborer in the kingdom of God, that you are an ambassador for Christ, as Paul says in verse 16 or 17, whichever one it was. You have a ministry and you have a mission field. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You're either a missionary or an imposter. When he's using the word Christian there, he's using it in the idea of a follower of Jesus Christ, an apprentice of Jesus Christ, somebody who's learning how to live your life as Jesus would if he were you. That's my favorite definition of discipleship. And it means that you can be an auto mechanic or you can be a doctor or you can own a business or you can be a teacher or a nurse. It doesn't matter. You can learn to live your life as Jesus would if he were you. And that's discipleship. And that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. So every follower of Christ is either a missionary, somebody who's living their life on mission, or they're an imposter. And sometimes I get the question, well, Pastor Mark, I have no idea where even to begin. Where do I start? How do I, how do I discover what my personal ministry is or what my personal mission field would be? And one of the greatest resources that ever came for, for this question came to me from Rick Warren's church in California, Saddleback Ministries. They developed a curriculum called SHAPE. Maybe you've heard of the SHAPE curriculum, and it, it's an acronym, S-H-A-P-E. And it's a, it's a spiritual discernment process where you figure out what God might have for you to do in his cosmic mission of res- reconciliation. And so the word uh, stands for, for five different things that will be a part of your personal ministry. And the first is your spiritual gifts. There are a number of spiritual gifts assessments that you can take online. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, you can, you can go there. You can answer some questions, and it'll give you some direction. It's not definitive. It's not like if it comes back and it says you know, something crazy that would never cross your mind that it's definitive, and now you've got to put all your eggs in that basket. But it might guide you towards two or three areas where you have a spiritual gift that is for the body of Christ and is for the lost world that the body of Christ is trying to reach. So that's your spiritual gift. Next is your heart or your passion. What things excite you? What things really break your heart, maybe? You know, there's a song that we sing, Hosanna, and the bridge of that song says, Break my heart for what breaks yours. What are the things that break your heart? That when you see him going on around you, you say, that's not right. And maybe it's child hunger, or maybe it's abuse, or maybe it's this or that, or maybe it's in the area of addictions and recovery. But whatever you're passionate about, that should give you a pointer or point you in the direction of an area where God might have some work for you to do in his kingdom. The next is abilities. Maybe you have some specific abilities. 
Maybe you play instruments or you have a great voice and, and those abilities would lead you towards worship. Maybe you're really good on the technical side of things or you have, you have education that you've amassed in a certain area that could contribute to God's work in this world. You have abilities. You have a personality. It needs to be in line with your personality, okay? Because if, if your personality is not a fit for where you are serving, then you're going to be unhappy, and the people around you might be unhappy too because there's just not a mesh there. But you have a personality, and it's a personality that God has given you, and he wants to use it to reach people with a similar personality or to do things in his kingdom that, that somebody with a different personality may not be able to do as well. And the final, the E stands for experiences. You have experiences. You have life experiences that you've accumulated to this point that will inform and help funnel and narrow where your personal ministry might be. Maybe you've served overseas. Maybe you've been in a number of different professions and you're sort of a jack of all trades. Whatever the case may be, your experiences are your experiences for a reason. And over and over and over, I've seen somebody who suffered something tragic in their early life, that God is able to use that experience to do ministry in a unique way because you can empathize in a unique way with somebody else. And that's that experience that helps direct you into your personal ministry, your personal mission field. Because keep in mind, we're, we're to be ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is somebody who, like an ambassador for the United States, would go into another country and they represent that country. They represent the United States to that country. In order to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, wherever we are. And my pastor growing up, uh, as I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and stepped into ministry, he would often say, you don't tell people you're an auto mechanic. Tell people you are a, an ambassador for Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as an auto mechanic. Or I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as a dental hygienist. Or I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as a sixth grade teacher. Because... Your core identity, your core job, your core mission in ministry is to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. If you are a follower, a believer, a disciple of Jesus. In fact, it's interesting, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. You maybe have heard it, you know, when Jesus makes his post-resurrection appearance, this, this Great Commission comes up over and over and over in, in Christian circles and in churches. And he says in verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? But that word go, we translate it because that's literally what the verb says, but the tense is really important. The tense means as you go or in your going. So as you go to the grocery store, make disciples of Jesus Christ, make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey. As you go to work, as you go to your family reunion, as you go on vacation, you're still an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And as you go, you can be making disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. So this is a, this is a mental shift for some of us. And it might be a mental shift for us individually. It might be a mental shift for us as a family. And as you think about your, your personal family, your immediate family, how often do you, do you serve together? How often do you talk about this idea of being on mission and being ambassadors for Christ in a family? I love this picture that we posted on Facebook um, as a group of, of, of Linwood people got together and served at Lunches Served. And you see on the right side of that picture, there's a couple of families there. You got Nate and Corey Day. You got Ada and, uh, and Desanye. I just lost her name. Rob? Christy, sorry. And then you got the Anderson family there. And they're serving together as a family. They're on mission together as a family. 
It's not like everybody goes off and does their own thing. It's that we can do things together. And that happens in our immediate family, and then it begins to happen in our church family. So we serve locally. We serve at Lunches Served. We serve at St. Francis House. Our, our, building, our uh, BGW nights, our uh, breakout group Wednesday, thank you, BGW, that once a month, they're serving somewhere together with our youth ministry, with uh, Linwood Student Ministries, and then Kids Way. They, they've got ideas this summer on ways that they're going to get those kids serving together and on mission together. And so that transitions us into Linwood's mission field, that Linwood has a mission field as well, that we are a church not just with a mission, but a missional church. And there's a difference. There's a difference between a church with a really catchy mission statement and a church that is on mission together, a church that meets the definition that has organized itself around and defines itself by its real purpose of being an agent of God's mission to the world. And so that's what we're in the process of discerning right now. What does it look like? How is Linwood Wesleyan Church going to be on mission for God in Sioux Falls, in this region, in this nation, and around the world? And we've got a lot of things already started with that, that we have missions partnerships, that we have local and international, and so we have a truly global reach from Linwood. When you give to the offering, when you give to the missions budget, Those dollars are strategically allocated to partnerships that we have to extend our reach into places like China and Brazil and downtown Sioux Falls and other places around the world. So you have an opportunity as part of Linwood to be missional and to be a part of a missional church. I love how Ed Stetzer puts it. He says, God's church doesn't have a mission as much as God's mission has a church. God's church doesn't have a mission as much as God's mission has a church. We're the ones that carry it out. We're the ones that get it done. His mission has not changed. His mission is reconciliation. His mission is bringing those who are far off and bringing them home. His mission is that those who were no people would become his people, that none would perish. He has a mission. And we as his church are the agents. We're the ones that carry it out. We're the ones that make it happen. He does it through us. He does it in us. And he has, he has a specific mission for Linwood Church that's cosmically significant and locally specific, that's specific to us, to this body, to these people, to the people that I see as I look out from this stage. God has a mission for us. And so if you want to be a part of that, if you want to be a part of, of doing that, of making that happen, we've been talking about membership the last couple of weeks, and we're going to start a Next Steps class on July 11th. You can check the box on your uh, connection card, and that will let us know that you want to be a part of that. We'll get you more information. We'll meet for three weeks, then we'll have a membership class, and this fall we'll celebrate as people say, yes, I want to be a part of what is happening at Linwood Wesleyan Church. In fact, I didn't plan this, but if you're a member of the church, would you stand up right now? If you're a member of Linwood Wesleyan, would you stand up? Because these, you're in good company. If you're thinking about becoming a member, these are the people that you'd be saying yes with. All right. Thank you, guys. That's awesome to see you standing up. You have an opportunity, and there's an invitation, and we'll talk about what it means and, and what you're committing to and all of those things, but just take the next step. Sign up for the next steps class. There's no arm twisting. There's no uh, dra- grabbing you by the ankles and shaking everything out or any of that stuff. We just want to tell you what it's about and give you an opportunity and give you an opportunity. So we have our local missions partnerships, and I want to focus on that for a second because we're, how many... If you were here a couple of weeks ago when Tom and Lydia Hines gave an update on what God is doing through them in their ministry, he said something really important. He said, the mission field is coming to us. 
the mission field is coming to us in America in a way that it never has before. And I think Sioux Falls in particular, we have more nationalities. We have more people getting placed here, whether they're refugees or they're coming from different countries. And Sioux Falls is a growing location, where growing community where there's jobs for them and there's places for them to land and there are services that help them get connected. The mission field is literally coming to us. And so we have a unique opportunity to do local ministry in a way that impacts those who God is bringing to us from around the world. So we don't have to take 15 short-term mission trips. We can just walk around downtown and look for people that, that are new here and find a way to connect them to Christ, to connect them to this God that loves them so much. I also want to let you know that on the 15th of July, a couple of weeks out here, uh, we're going to have a visit from Peter and Brenda Burgos. They have missionaries that we've been supporting in China for some time, and we're going to try something new. We're, we're hoping to offer what we call a missions lunch. So they'll give their update in service, and then following service, they'll go beyond the three to five minutes that they can share here, and they'll share a little bit more about what God is doing and, and a little bit more about how you can pray for them and a little bit more about how you can partner with them. And so if you want to do that, just... Right on your connection card, you know, I'm interested in lunches, in, in the missions lunch on the 15th. And uh, we'll, we'll probably meet down in the youth uh, room and we'll have a time where they just get the stage. And they can, you can ask questions at the end of that and have those answered. And it'll be a great way to connect more deeply with our missionaries. So um, don't miss that opportunity. The final thing I want to say about the church mission and Linwood's mission is, is to reiterate and to reinforce this idea that the church is not the staff. Okay, the church is not the staff. You're the church. You're the church. And sometimes I I hear a a comment or sometimes I see something on a connection card that makes me think that sometimes people get the idea that the church is the staff. And if somebody from the staff doesn't come and visit you when you're sick or when your mom dies or, or something like that, that the church hasn't. But if people from the church have, then the church has. And we have to get out of this idea that, that staff has to do everything. Not that we're lazy and we don't want to do it. We want to do it. We just, I have this feeling that we're going to grow, that Linwood's going to grow, and we're going to grow beyond the capacity of a few staff members to make all the calls and make all the connections. And we're going to need a body of Christ to be intentional about reaching out, reaching out when somebody is hurting, reaching out when somebody experiences a loss, reaching out and going. We have caring ministries, and they do a phenomenal job, and they're all lay people. That's what I love about caring ministries is they're people, they're, they're, they're nurses, and they're, uh, they're homemakers, and they're business owners, and then they're people who have come together and said, we really care about what's going on here. We really care about what's happening in this church and in this community, and we want to extend that care to people. And I think it's wonderful, and it's, it's organic, and it's beautiful. And I, I look out, and I see some of the people that are involved in our Caring Ministries team and the work that they do, and it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And it, it needs to grow. We need to continue to find those places where we fit and where our shape has us uniquely qualified to make a difference in somebody's life. The Caring Ministries is probably the best example that I can think of on the fly of that, but it happens everywhere. It happens in our student ministries. It happens in Kids Way. As dedicated volunteers say, I can help. I can do that. I have an education background. I have this. I have that. I love kids. Those are all part of who you are that enable you to serve. And you can serve here in the four walls of the church, and you can serve out there in the community. So the bottom line, this world is not our home. It's our mission field. And we invite you. God invites you. If you're not already fully engaged in living on mission for him in this world, to take a step, to take the next step. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to get on a plane and fly to some place where you don't know the language. He may call you to do that. 
But nine times out of ten, he's looking for somebody. He's already got you uniquely planted in a place where you have influence, where you have relationships that he wants to use for his ministry of reconciliation, to draw people into his family, to draw people into a reconciled relationship with him. So as we close our our time together in prayer, I want to remind you the altars. I'm going to shift things a little bit this week. It's awfully loud right down here. So this is not the best place to interact with people I learned last week, um, but these corners are. So if you want somebody to pray with you, to come to you and put a hand on your shoulder and pray over you, go to one of the two far um, altar benches. If you would just like to pray by yourself and make a commitment with God or intercede on behalf of somebody or pray for somebody who's lost, as we talk about this ministry of reconciliation, I would love to see people coming forward today and praying at an altar or making an altar where you're seated and praying for somebody who you know is not reconciled to God and asking God to work in your life or to work in the lives of people who have influence over them to bring them into a relationship with God. So the center two, we'll let you pray alone. The outside two, we'll take that as an invitation for somebody to come put a hand on your shoulder and pray with you. Elders, staff, um, prayer team members, you can keep an eye out for those. And if, if you want somebody to actually pray specifically for you, just put a hand on their hand and they'll come down and... and uh, Find out what it is that that we can pray for. You can always put this on a connection card as well. You can always put a prayer request on that connection card, and we will pray for you as a staff, and we'll send those out to our prayer warriors because we want to be a praying family of praying families. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your mission in this world is to reconcile people to yourself. We thank you so much that you invite us to be a part of that that you invite us to come alongside you and alongside each other in accomplishing that mission. We pray, God, that you would help us to lean into that, that you would help us to accept that invitation, that you would help us to take the next step, whatever it may be, in being ambassadors for Christ wherever you have placed us. May we respond in faith to your word now. In Jesus' name we pray.